It's uh, May 27th, 2009. Uh, I don't, don't really have a title tonight, but I guess it would be the Bethel Vowel. Uh, Bethel Vowel. I can't say the word. V-O-W. Vowel. Not, not A-E-I-O-U, but a, a vowel. Vowel. John. Vowel. It's kind of like trying to pronounce that dish at the Vietnamese noodle house, but I just can't. They say, okay, I bring you Eris. <laughs> I bring you an Eric, is what they say, because I can't say the dish. Uh, turn with me to Genesis 28. What an amazing overcoming week this has been. And uh, it, it's one of those things that you look back upon life, and when time goes by, uh, your victories have never been just overwhelming, uh, rapturous-like experiences. Victories are always fought in the trenches. How many of you would dig a water well at the top of a mountain peak? Probably not, right? That's a lot of earth to get down for the water. How many times have you seen crops growing at the top of a mountain? It's almost always in the valleys, huh? Christians don't grow on the top of mountains. On the top of our mountain peak experiences is not where we find the water that sustains us. It is just kind of a reward for having went through the last valley. It's kind of what compels you through the next valley. But the place that all of us grow is the place of pressure, the place of uh, testing. And if you thought your stress was the cause of all of your problems, you're wrong. Stress is the revealer of your problems. And for that, we need to praise God. Because when you're being tested, when you're being pushed, it's not creating the problems in your life. It's revealing the areas we need to refine, that we need to work on. And our God will refine a man like a blacksmith would refine silver. So don't be surprised that all around you are difficulties. This is how God refines us. And as we embrace it and we smile, it takes away the enemy's glory. It pulls his teeth. When something difficult happens in your life and you laugh and you say... Thank you, Jesus. I know this is going to work out for my good. Well, what's he got out of it? The devil's got nothing left. Nothing left to throw at you. In fact, the more persecution he throws at the church, the more the church grows. That's how the church works. Affluence is what's dangerous. In Genesis 28, I wanted to show you something. And it's just been on my mind today. Uh, I cannot say that this came like a lightning bolt from the throne of God. Uh, can't say I spent hours mining it out of the Word. I can just tell you it's been on my mind and I thought it might bless you. Uh, Genesis 28, starting in verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. By the way, Jacob is in search of a, a wife at this point. His father sent him off with a blessing. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. How many times in life have you been somewhere, been on a journey, been going through difficulty doing something, and it felt very random. But when you look back, you could see, if I had not met that person at that time, then this whole series of events would not have happened. There was a particular Bible study Matthew tried to get me to go to for months. And uh, always something happened and I didn't go. But the night that I went, the message, the worship, everything lined up in a way that impacted me. Where would you be if you had not been at a certain place of destiny at some point in your life. Think about that. Do you think that he stopped just at a certain place? 
Or do you think that this is a place that God designed for him on his journey? See, a lot of times things look random to us. Mandy said that the rabbis don't like the word coincidence. What do they call it, Mandy? Not kosher. They said coincidence is not kosher. It's not a kosher word, not acceptable for a Jew to use. This is not just a certain place on his journey. Watch what happens. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. You thought your pillow was hard. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Now, if this is not a familiar passage, then certainly anytime anybody's ever learned to play the guitar, you've heard them play Stairway to Heaven by Led Zeppelin, right? Y'all know, y'all have all been saved all of your life, and you have no idea what that even is. Go to the Guitar Center on uh, Hillcroft and Westheimer, and there is a sign that says, please do not play that song, because they're so sick of hearing it. He stopped at a place and had a dream with his head on a rock. Okay? A certain place. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am Yahweh, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and the south. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Do you think you might remember a place like that? If you were in a special place and you had an amazing dream in which God made you the promise that a royal land grant that would eventually encompass the whole earth would be given to you and your descendants. Could you remember something like that? How many of you ladies remember the song that was playing when your husband first asked you to dance? How many of you remember the first movie you saw with somebody you love? Or the last thing that uh, you did with your parents before they went to be with the Lord. We remember things around significant events. In the formation, look, all the husbands are in trouble now because the wives are asking, do you remember? My wife's not even in here, which is why I could offer that. It's a, actually, the first movie we saw was Gremlins 2. first one we watched at home was a movie called Always. Didn't make it all the way through the movie. I couldn't couldn't keep her from kissing on me. You know? I'm kidding, Mom. I'm kidding. See, she's not in here. At a certain place, God began to interact with this man. This becomes very important in Israel's history. And a promise that had been given to his father and his father's father now comes to him. If any of you grew up in the church, you know how important it is that not just your parents love the Lord, but you come to a place where the same promises they accepted are now real in your life. It was not enough just to be the descendant of Abraham. It was not enough just to be the descendant of Isaac. This man needed his own encounter, his own certain place, his own experience with the living God. And he's finding it because he's on a journey with God. Verse 15, I am with you and I will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. I will not leave you until I have done it. Isn't that a good promise? Uh-oh, wife's in here now. I get to be good. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, 
Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. Isn't that the way it always is, though, with what the world would call coincidence? We find ourselves in a series of events that seem random and insignificant. Maybe you even feel like you're being tortured. But when you look back upon it, you can go, God was in that and I wasn't aware of it. If I had not been there, I wouldn't have met this person. If I hadn't met that person, I wouldn't have met these people. My kids wouldn't even be in this class. All kind of things happen this way in our lives. This is the meaning of the Lord directs a man's footsteps. He directs the path of the righteous. Now why would I be covering something like that with you? Because wherever you are right now at this place in your life, it is not an accident. You are not an accident. And you have not screwed up so badly that now you are out of God's will. Wherever you stand now is the certain place God will deal with you. He will meet with you. He will be with you until He has accomplished for you what His Word has promised. Are any of you glorified yet and I missed it? Then He's with you in your certain place. He's working with you. The devil is a master at telling you, oh, Darren, ever since you did that, your whole life now is going astray. When you zig, when you should have zagged, now you're off track. You will never be back on track. You've blown it. Might as well give up now. Am I the only one who hears that kind of stuff? He's a liar and he's good at his job. But my king is righteous and he's better at his job. Amen. Amen. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. Now those of us that grew up in our formational years were in the 80s, awesome has lost all significance because everything was like totally awesome, you know? Awesome means to be full of I mean, the kind of thing that when they walked in the room, you went, to be full of that feeling. When he realized that God was working in the events of his life, on his travels right then, he was full of awe over this. And he began to take note of something. Early the next morning, I'm sorry, he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. The gate of heaven. Why would that be significant? Adam and Eve lived in a place that was the very tangible presence of God. Hey God, how are you? I'm doing good. Hey, you, you sleep alright, Adam, last night? Yeah, I slept great. You God? I don't sleep, Adam. Let's go for a walk. <laughs> hey, it's cool outside, isn't it? Yeah, I made it that way for you. They walked and interacted with God. And we don't even know how long, how cool was that? But how difficult was it when man's journey took him outside the garden? And wasn't the devil right there saying, you've blown it so bad, you'll never get back in. Wasn't he right there saying, you've zigged and you will never be back on track? And wasn't there plenty of evidence to support it? Even God put a flaming sword there so that man couldn't enter back in. Just because we've blown it at times and suffered consequence for it doesn't mean there is no way back in. He's standing here and he realizes God is in this and I wasn't aware of it. 
this is like the gate to heaven, like the gate to the garden, the gate back to God's presence. Well, what is the gate back to God's presence? Is it the rock? Is it the place? Or was it that God was moving in his life and he had become aware of it? Suddenly it filled him. Oh, he recognized the significance. The Hebrew would be the kavod, the glory, the weightiness, the significance of God was in that place. Saints, wherever you are is your certain place. He's not torturing you. He hasn't forgotten about you. You have not gone so far that your Father is not with you anymore. He will accomplish for you what He promised. All you need to do is recognize His presence is in your circumstances. Your marriages can be repaired. Your jobs can be fixed. Your children can be healed. There is no amount of brokenness that the devil can bring your way that God cannot put it back together. He's the very glue that holds the atoms together that make up your body. He's the power that holds the universe together. There's a response that happens when you realize that you're in the house of God. You're in the gate of heaven. He called that place Bethel, though it used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking, and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God, and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. The right response to realizing God's presence, His significance in your life, being filled with all that He just moved in a way you hadn't expected, is a vow of commitment towards Him. I'm sorry, Lord, I had wandered. I didn't realize you were in this, and you are. He is looking for a response that yearns for Him. Now I want you to notice something. How big was God's promise to Him? I'm going to give you and your descendants all this land, everything you see to the north, everything you see to the south, the west, and the east. How big was Jacob's commitment to God? If you'll clothe me and feed me, I'll give you a tenth of what I have. Who's given more? It's always this way. It is not that all of the sudden you uh, wear burlap and you... Uh, get out of the human race and you go hide in a cave and this is what God wants. All He wants is for you to be aware of His presence in your life, to dwell in the house of God, to consider that you have a gateway to heaven and be good in keeping your vows. All of you are in here tonight because you made a vow to the Lord. What was your vow to it? Lord, if you will save me, all of my life will belong to you. Yes. Not 10% of my finances. Not just my private life. Not just my public life. Not Sundays and Wednesdays. My life will belong to you. How are you doing with your vow? There are times I am such a faithful, faithful vow keeper for the Lord. And there are times what he says to Israel, he could say to me, you faithless, adulterous people. Because He's promised to provide for me. He has promised to take care of me until everything that He said comes to completion. And when I face difficulty, I bite my nails and I get concerned. And I comfort myself with the thought that, well, so do all they! 
So do all them. I can't even speak English. So do all of them. Does that really make any difference? If you were married, and some of you are and some aren't, but all of you are very familiar with the concept, <laughs> would you really care if your spouse said, you know, I'm not faithful, <laughs> but neither all of them? Oh. Or is the one person that you want to be faithful to you the person you took vows with? <laughs> Our God is looking for a marriage relationship with each one of us where we are faithful to our vows. Turn with me to Numbers 30. We're coming back to Bethel in a minute, but I just want to talk to you about vows for a minute. In Numbers 30, starting in verse 1, Moses said to the heads of the tribes of Israel, This is what the Lord commands. When a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to obligate himself by a pledge, he must not break his word, but must do everything he said. Have you ever heard these uh, conversions that are, Lord, if you will get me out of jail, I will serve you all the days of my life. How often do those turn out well? You can answer me. How often? About as well as the ones at the altar that say, Lord, if you get me out of this, I will serve you all the days of my life. They have about the same level of fulfillment. I want you to know something. The Lord will most certainly hold you accountable for every word of a vow you have made to Him. This is why Jesus said, don't swear by heaven or earth. The earth is the Lord's throne, and I'm sorry, the heavens are the Lord's throne, the earth is His footstool. James repeats it. So does that mean you don't make a vow that is your whole life to Him? No, it's not what He means. He means fulfill your vows, and don't make vows carelessly. The rest of Numbers 30 tells you how to get out of a vow that you shouldn't have made. Is there anybody in here wants out of their vow with the Lord? Because you get out of vow, what happens if He doesn't keep His end of it? See, I'm convinced that the benefits outweigh the hardships. This is what Paul reasoned in his mind when he said, our light and momentary troubles aren't worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. How often have we sat and acted like the benefits were outweighed by the hardship? How often have you complained to the point where there was no joy left in your life? Mm -hmm. Knowing that the Word says do everything without arguing or complaining. I had a chance to watch people work in these last few days. I had a chance to listen to the words coming out of my own mouth. I'm convinced that it is just as hard, if not harder, to build a wall while complaining about it as it is while praising about it. Which one do you think benefits you more? be able to look back and have praised during it? Or with every drop of sweat came some wretched, vile, awful grumbling and complaining. And you know what's interesting about it is it's really just kind of a magnifying glass, a little window into our very lives, isn't it? When you face hardships, how do you handle your vows before God? What I find is that I don't handle them as well in the valleys as I do on the mountaintops. I don't handle them as well while I'm still running the race as I do after I have finished it. And I suspect you're a little bit like me. So maybe we should take a, a, a break 
look around and realize this is that certain place. We are in the presence of God. Remind ourselves to be filled with awe again. And begin to renew our minds. Renew our attitudes. You know what's wrong with your relationship with your children? What's wrong with your relationship with your wives and husbands? What's wrong with your relationship with your employer? Something's wrong with your relationship with God. You come to Him when you need something. You come to Him when you feel like it. You do what He says some of the time. Your relationship with everybody around you is only a reflection of your relationship with God. You cannot love God, you can't see if you don't love your fellow man that you do see. If you're selfish with people all around you, you're also selfish with your God. This is how this works. And that's not meant to condemn you or me. It's meant to be a mirror that we can go, wow, that's true. I could do better in that area and ask for His help and He's promised to provide it. Turn with me then to Deuteronomy 23. We're going to get out of heavy scriptures right after this one. That doesn't mean you don't have to turn there. Deuteronomy 23. Uh Uh-oh. Deuteronomy 23. Two, three of you. Wow. That's lower than our national voting percentage. Hey, uh, have you ever heard somebody complain about presidential politics? Yes. Yeah, I have too. There's 300 and some odd million people in the United States. How many voted? You know, more people voted for American Idol than did for the American president. Somebody stopped in a class here in Houston, political science class, and in our local elections that happened about a month ago, 147 people in the class, three voted in the local elections in a political science class. 126 voted in American Idol that night. We have something wrong with us. And that is that we would like to complain about everything that we don't like. But we don't do anything about it. Stopping realizing that wherever you are is the certain place you need to be with God. Embracing it as such. Filling your life with an awe of Him. Will make everything better, I promise. You have a bad president? Praise God, it's going to work to your benefit. Because you have a great king. You have a good president? Praise God, it's going to work to your benefit because you have an even better king. There is nothing, not height, nor depth, not angel, nor demon that can separate you from that. Deuteronomy 23. I just want to remind you of something in the 21st verse. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not be slow to pay it. For the Lord your God will certainly demand it of you and you will be guilty of sin. To say, Lord, I I know you want me to do this. I know what your word says. And I'll I'll get around to it. He says he will not hold you guiltless. Him being Lord means you don't do things in your own good time. You do it when he says. This means when he speaks, you run. He tells you to jump. You don't ask how high. You leap as high as you possibly can. Don't be slow in doing what the Lord says. Let's start with one that says, don't let the sun go down while you're angry. That doesn't mean don't let it go down the tenth time. It means do not let it go down while you're angry. Don't be slow in fulfilling these things. Your brother and you have something against each other and you're at the altar praying. Go fix it right now. 
Don't be slow in repaying your life. But wait, I didn't vow that to the Lord. Did you forget you gave Him your entire life when you were born again? Your entire life. Turn with me to John 1. The right response to meeting God in the place that is His house, recognizing His presence in your life, is that you make a fresh new commitment to Him, a vow. Y'all in John 1? My new Bible's slower than my old one. They are thin pages. In John, the first chapter, look at verse 43 with me. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. To find somebody that Moses wrote about in the law, you needed to know what the law said, and you needed to be looking for it. You needed to be expecting it. And about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there, Nathanael asked? Kind of like being in a place where God was present and you didn't realize it. Could anything good come from Nazareth? I don't know. Could anything good come from laying my head down on a stone in this strange place called Luz? I wonder how many situations in your life God is actively working and you just don't see anything good that can come of it. It just feels like one more night with your head on a hard stone pillow. Come and see, said Philip. I'm telling you, come and see. You have an area of your life that you think God can't work in? Come and see. Put it before Him. See if He won't. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, He said of him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. Here is a true prince with God in whom there is nothing false. Does that mean that this man was perfect, Nathanael? Can you be imperfect and have nothing false in you? Think about that. Here is a true Israelite, a true prince with God in whom is nothing false. Does that mean that he never lied? Don't talk to me. Does it mean that he never stole? Does it mean that he never broke a promise? Probably not, huh? Probably this guy was flawed like the rest of the human race. But you know what? He was honest about it. There is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. He is not putting on a facade. He is not hiding. This is the kind of man that can be helped. Somebody who is not false about who and where they are. Watch this. Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me, Nathaniel asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. When God begins to speak into your life about areas of your life you didn't know He was watching, what is your response? Now in general in Christianity we all say we know His eye sees all of mankind. But let's be honest, haven't you said words to your spouse, to your dogs, to your employer? to the guy next to you in a car 
that acted just like he wasn't watching you? So what happens when you begin to realize he is in this place and I wasn't aware of it? Are you filled with shame or are you filled with awe? See, our God is taking us on the same journey that Jacob went on. He takes you to a place that looks like it has no significance. You lay your head on one more hard stone pillow. But He begins to reveal His presence in your hardship. He begins to show you that the gate of heaven is wherever you're making contact with Him. It's not on the mountaintop, saints. It's in those difficult valleys. Watch what Jesus says to him. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. Not that the man was perfect, but he had no facade. How do you know me, Nathanael asked? Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, Master, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. A little bit like Jacob, who when he realized God was in this place, when he realized it was like a stairway to heaven, made a new vow before the Lord. What is Nathaniel's vow? You're the king of Israel. What is Nathaniel? An Israelite. This is just like your vow. He's pledging his allegiance to him. Watch this. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. Our king always meets your vow with a greater promise. In Jacob's case, in Genesis 28 at Bethel, Jacob said, I'll give you a tenth and uh, you'll be my God. What was God's promise to him? I will give you everything you see to the north, south, west, and east, and your descendants will own this forever. God will meet your level of commitment with a greater commitment 100% of the time. Watch what Jesus does here. You believe because I told you I saw you under a fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. Then he added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. If you've ever heard somebody say Jesus didn't claim to be God, here is one of the most direct references that there is in all of the Word if you just have a Hebrew mind. When Jacob realized that God's presence was in the place in Genesis 28, he realized it because he had a dream and he saw angels ascending and descending upon that place and he named it Bethel, the house of God. Nathaniel has not put on a facade in front of the king. He's pledged his allegiance to the king and so the king revealed himself as the very house of God. Bethel looked like an ordinary place. It used to be called Luz, an almond tree. Isn't it interesting that the almond staff that budded shows the anointing? This is the place where God's house was. Now here stands a humble, ordinary carpenter in front of this man, and yet he's staring at the very house of God. I want to ask you, saints, in your daily circumstances, while you're changing your kids' diapers, while you're completing your sales orders, what humble, ordinary circumstances is before you that God is dwelling in and you just haven't seen it? You haven't been filled with awe over it. You haven't recognized that it is the certain place that He led you to so that He could teach you, so that He could get a new commitment from you, so that He could be more and more increasingly so your Lord and your Savior. Is it possible we're missing them because we're grumbling and complaining? 
Is it possible that we're missing the significance of God that fills the entire earth? You know, in Isaiah, the seraphs said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is full of His glory. The earth is full of His glory. Hosea said that His glory would cover the earth like water covers the seas. You know what's missing? Our knowledge of that. It's already there. It's all around us. It's just when you're stripping wallpaper or you're building a wall or you're painting a wall, can you find it in it? Are you dwelling with God and He dwelling with you? Are we arguing and complaining and trying to meet Him once or twice a week and hoping that will sustain us? When Jesus tore that curtain, He's on the cross and the curtain tore from top to bottom. This was a way of indicating to all mankind that the gate to the garden we spoke about earlier was open again for all mankind. If Adam and Eve had been offered a chance to bypass the flaming sword of the cherubim an hour after they were thrown out of the garden, what do you think they would have done? Went right back in. How about a year after? How about the day after one of their sons killed the other one? What do you think they would have done? And now all mankind has a way back in and all we need to do is recognize His glory and significance all around us. Do everything without arguing or complaining for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians. That's a good brother. We've got five more minutes and I'm going to give you three more scriptures that are going to bless your life. Does that sound like a good deal? Yes. Even if it doesn't, it's what you're going to get. You might as well do it this month. In 2 Corinthians 10, look at verse 1. By the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold when away. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension, that's a claim to whoever is right, that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. The next time you face a situation that looks like one more cold, lonely night with your head on a hard stone, one more unchangeable situation on your journey that is life, one more place that just looks like hardship, we need to take that thought captive. We need to make it obedient to Jesus and say, Thank You, Lord, for preparing me. Thank You, mighty God, for moving in my life and ordering my footsteps. I know that You're working in this, though I cannot see it today. Will You reveal it to me? And He will reveal that He dwells with you, that he, You are His very house, and that a gateway to heaven has been opened to you. Hold your finger here. Turn with me to Psalm 15. How many of you make vows to the Lord? Would you all fall asleep? How many of you made vows to the Lord? Raise your hand. 
All of you. That's why you're here. You all got born again with a promise that your life belonged to the Lord. You want to see more of the Lord's presence? Watch Psalm 15. Yahweh, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? He whose walk is blameless. He who does what is right. Who speaks the truth from his heart and has no slander on his tongue. And who does his neighbor no wrong and casts no slur on his fellow man. Boy, that's a hard one to live up to. Who despises a vile man but honors those who fear the Lord. Here's what I wanted to get to. Who keeps his oath even when it hurts. Keeps his oath even when it hurts. Saints, if you give up at hardship, you will never know what victory is like. And you may have been right there. What if Jacob had thrown that stone away and just walked on a little further? What if he'd got mad and went back home because he was now sleeping outside with his head on a rock and with nothing to his name? He'd have missed the royal land grant that he inherits the world. He'd have missed the revelation that God's house would be among men. Turn with me to Ephesians 3. Here come your last two scriptures. I'm a preacher. I have a hard time counting sometimes. Did I mention my mother was healed of cancer? Yeah, absolutely. You ever got excited about a television show? I know you have. You ever talk for a week about something that happened at a Super Bowl halftime? You ever go to a party and everybody was raving about it for a week? Hear Casey sing like James Brown at Angie's house? (laughs) Jesus has healed cancer in our midst. Don't you let the devil steal that from you. Shout it from the rooftops. And people say, oh, I'm glad she feels better. So I don't think you understand. She was healed of cancer. And then rejoice. Get giddy and excited like it was your mother. Ephesians 3. I'll loan her to you. Uh, 3.14 For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom His whole family in heaven and on earth derive its name. I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through trust. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than we, immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to His power that is at work within us, to Him be glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever. Amen. I pray that you would be strengthened in your inner being because Christ is dwelling in your hearts. If His presence dwells in your heart, does it matter whether you're sleeping in Luz or Beersheba? No. Does it matter whether you're like uh, Mephibosheth and Lodabar? Our God takes His people through the most difficult places on the planet because when you praise Him there, everyone knows you are His. 
if you only experienced the mountaintop, how would you be like any other man that praises when things are going well? You wouldn't be any different. The significance of God is in the valleys in our lives. His glory, His weight shows up for the whole world to see when everybody on your job is being laid off. And you've got a great big smile because you know your job was never your provision. Your king was. No matter where you are, you're in the certain place that God has called you. And you need to see His awe and His significance in it. Your last scripture for the night comes out of Colossians. You'll be in the third chapter. It's worth turning to. Three fifteen. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. What does it mean to rule? It means it reigns. It controls. It has dominion. Let's be honest. How well do we live up to that? You can lose your complete cool because somebody pulled out in front of you in traffic. But the shalom of God, this sense that all is right between you and God, the sense that everything has been put in its proper place. That is shalom. Actually, the Hebrew greeting is shalom, and you respond with shalom. And it's a way of asking, how is your peace? And the response is, my peace is well and yours. Just by saying shalom and shalom. How are you with God? This is how Hebrews greet each other. He says, let the shalom of Christ reign in your heart. That's a litmus test. You can be in a concentration camp and God's peace can be reigning. If that's not your present state, it can be changed. All you need to do is make a new vow. Set your will, your new heart, your new intention on Him and He will meet you. He will meet you with a greater commitment just like He did Jacob, just like He did Nathaniel than you ever made towards Him. And he who begins the good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. If Jacob said, how awesome is this place? And I told you because of our 80s experience, totally awesome. We've lost the meaning of that word which is to be full of awe. Be overwhelmed with it. What do you think it means to be thankful? overflowing with thanks. That's pretty hard to do while complaining and grumbling. Overflowing with thanks. Don't you love to be around people that are encouragers? Yes. People who are constantly telling you that that's good and you can do this better and man, you did that great. Look at the improvement in your life. That's encouragement. Thankfulness. We want to be around people who are thankful for what Jesus is doing. Not who have bitterness growing in them to defile many. Bitter that God hasn't come through in this area yet. Bitter that God hasn't done this. And you're constantly in the position of feeling as if you need to defend God's promise in their life. It's not God who needs the defense, saints. It's we who are not faithful to our vows. He's always faithful. And be thankful. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart towards God. Songs, hymns, spiritual songs, His Word dwelling in your heart. Who did you teach this week? 
Who did you teach? I guarantee you, you taught somebody this week. May not have been the lesson you intended. But you taught somebody. You are teaching everyone around you all of the time something about you and your God by the way that you act. When you say, Hi, my name's Eric and I'm a Christian. And then two hours later you're acting like a devil. You have taught them something about you and your God. When you say, Hi, I'm Eric and I'm a Christian. And you begin to live up to the tenets of the name. Which means that you are being like Christ to them. You have taught them something. Saints, we need His Word to dwell in us so that we can make good on our vows. So that we can live up to what we're called to be. And it starts with thankfulness, gratefulness, His Word. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I don't have time to teach you what that is tonight. But it's not three ways to say the same thing. There are all kind of ways to praise Him. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. My last exhortation to you as we close is this. Whatever you do, whether you are digging a ditch, cleaning a floor, picking up your spouse's dirty laundry for the hundredth time after they've promised they would never leave it on the floor again. Yeah. <laughs> Do it in the name of Jesus for the Lord. You may find yourself just like Jacob in a place unaware of God's presence and yet He's revealed Himself to you in it. You know that the creation itself pours forth speech day and night that all men understand, the Word says? It's Psalm 19. Do you think that that's just a majestic, beautiful sight that you see? I assure you, it's the events of your daily life that seemed ordinary, but God speaks to you through it. You know those trees we sang about earlier? When I was first born again, I saw them swaying in the wind. And it taught me that even the creation worships God. Right? I picked up a rock one time and saw dirty things under it and realized that all yucky things dwell in darkness. Mm. The creation is speaking forth a message. Every event in your life is filled with the significance of God if you choose to see it. What keeps us from it is our attitude. Mm. Let's let His Word fill our hearts, overflow with thankfulness and gratefulness, and I promise whatever you're doing, whether it's stripping wallpaper, building walls, or being somebody's electrician in Mexico, all of the sudden will have a divine purpose and you will be filled with good things. You'll be God's house, His Bethel. Amen? Amen. Stand to your feet. Let's pray. Who may dwell on His holy mountain? The one who keeps His vow even when it hurts. How do you know if you'll do that? You have to be in a position where it hurts to do it. That's how we define trust, faith. Amen. I want a chance to prove the genuineness of my faith. How about you? Amen. Or would you rather just leave it kind of vague and gray? When I stand before Him, I want there to be a track record, fruit on the tree, that shows what kind I am. And I want that badly for you. Let's pray. Mighty God, Lord, we thank You. We thank You for the trials that have come before us. We consider them pure joy. Lord, we see that Your arm is not too short. At our moment of need, You have sent angels to attend to us. 
Lord, you have put on flesh. You have come to us by way of your servants. The body of Christ has met our every need. We thank you that there are no God-forsaken places. And we ask that you would help us to realize there are church-forsaken places. Lord, let us be your hands and feet in the situations others will not. Mighty God, throw us into those situations where some will grumble that we might have a chance to praise you. And where we fail, Lord, we pray that your word would correct our hearts. Your spirit would empower us in our inner being that we might overflow in gratefulness and thankfulness. We want to teach and admonish those around us to love you, to revere you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.